Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You don't know what exactly you're dealing with, but there is an expectation, I think, set for that personal interaction that you get from having a host. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to Cincinnati's Best Ever Real Estate Investor Mastermind. Thank Thank you. For those of you who are here live and for those of you who are listening after the fact on the podcast, we host a local real estate investor meetup on the last Tuesday of every month in Cincinnati. You can visit bestevercincy.com for more information on upcoming meetups. Those of you who are here today, thank you. Those of you who are not, I hope we see you here soon. What we have for you today is a panel of professional short-term rental operators who are going to speak on what is happening in the short-term rental, furnished rental market. Now we're in the third quarter of 2023 in this recording, and they will have some advice for those of us who are operating our own short and medium-term rentals ourselves. I'll give you introductions now, first here, we have Danny Henry, who's based in Cincinnati. Her title is City Manager of Operations for Liberty Hill Rentals. She has over a decade of experience in hospitality, including working for Marriott, Hilton, and IHG. She currently manages over 110 short-term rentals here in the Cincinnati area. Next, we have Sarah Karakayan. Sarah is based in Columbus. Her company name is Stay A While Hosting Co., She has over 20 years of experience in hospitality working for prestigious New York City hotels. She's started businesses in both real estate and design, and she is a co-host of the Thanks for Visiting podcast and co-creator of the Hosting Business Mastery Method. We also have with us Yue Chang, based in Cincinnati. Her company is Pink Cash Cow Property Management. She operates over 25 furnished rentals in the most desirable neighborhoods in Cincinnati. She's been doing it since 2020. And one of those is one of my rentals. She focuses on building systems that maximize revenue and profits. She's also a licensed realtor in Ohio, focused on acquisitions for her short-term rental clients. And she does one-to-one short-term rental coaching. Each of you have the opportunity to speak on each of the questions that I have. And then we'll have the opportunity for Q&A from the group. 
Just a quick reminder, if you're the one answering a question from the group, please repeat the question so that we catch it for the audio recording and your mic. But the first thing here, we've seen a lot of economic volatility since the beginning of 2022. So I'd like to hear from each of you what impact you have seen the greater economy, talking macro here, on the short-term rental market in the last 18 months. I guess I'll start the conversation. Now more than ever, it's always been very important for you to run your numbers. But just because you want to make it a short-term rental does not automatically make your deal work. So I think that's what we've been discovering over the past 18 months is that putting out Airbnb is not going to save your lack of doing math, a bad deal that you came into. And I will also say there's always room at the top. So making sure that you want to be a short-term rental property manager yourself or have your own portfolio of short-term rentals, it is so important. Location matters. Who your potential guest is going to be matters. And can you support that business in your area? And hospitality. We were talking about this off mic. It is a hospitality business and travelers today are expecting a lot. And those reviews really matter. So that's really going to tank your business too if you aren't able to serve from a hospitality perspective. I would add from a macroeconomic standpoint, I've seen a lot more supply in short-term rentals. And just speaking in Cincinnati alone, the listings have basically doubled over the last two years. So there are a lot of people coming into short-term rentals, whether they hear it's easy money and all I have to do is put everything on Airbnb and leave furniture I don't want for my other house here to people who are buying 800,000 new construction properties because they have cash sitting to run short-term rentals. So there's a very wide range of the quality of short-term rentals, but because of that increased supply, it's impacted certain I don't want to just say location, but the sizes in specific locations. For example, I would say downtown Cincinnati, the one bed, one bath is just so many. It's just everywhere. If there were a condo, like six out of six are short-term rentals. So I think because of that increase in supply, going back to what Sarah said, you really have to be on top of your hospitality. You have to be able to stand out, and your numbers have to work. You have to know your numbers and whether this property is going to do well as a short-term rental. It's not just I can list anything, and it would just start turning out profits. Yeah, I would piggyback off of what both of them just said. I think the market is saturated, and then you see more and more investors that are interested in the short-term rental market because they think it's easy, and they think they're going to make a quick buck, and they are quickly finding out that that's not the scenario. We actually had a client that had a property, we were managing it, and they decided to list another of their properties on their own on Airbnb using the same software that we use, basically duplicating what I had done for their first property. And then within a month, they were calling me to manage it for them because they realized that not only is this a full-time job, but it's not as easy as it has been as social media displays it to be. And I think that that is a huge shift too, is the way that the brand is represented on Airbnb and hospitality and the way that travel just is changing. The clientele and the guests that are traveling via these platforms are not the same as they were when they started. So with commercials and all of this information on social media going out, more and more people that don't understand what this platform is realistically supposed to be are traveling, and those are the people that expect the hospitality portion of it. They want the hospitality, and not only do they want it, they're going to demand it. 
in the form of a refund or holding your review hostage or something like that. They're going to find ways to kind of make your life miserable almost if you're not doing it well. So I would just say what they said, the market's saturated and there has to be some sort of evolution for your short-term rental to come out on top. A couple of quick questions. They might be yes or no. And then I want to talk to what you're saying. First, supply has risen drastically in the last couple of years. And if you look at the interest rates that were available for second homes in 2021 to the beginning of 22, there were a lot of people who bought that home for the sake of putting it on Airbnb. In that time, those interest rates have lapsed. Demand for short-term rentals, I have heard, has actually increased over the last two years, but it has been outpaced by the increase in supply. Is that what you guys have seen? Yes. I don't know the answer to this question. Have you started to see some of the underperforming and low-performing listings fall off of the market? Are the low performers leaving or are they still sticking around? Just from what I've seen in Cincinnati, the growth of listings have plateaued. So to me, that means there are listings dropping out. And I've heard things on Facebook posts or people saying, I'm trying to sell my furniture, especially people who are doing arbitrage. I think they have been hit a lot harder by that. But I've seen people back out of short-term rentals, but I think there are still people who are trying to get into short-term rentals. So I think instead of growing drastically, it's just kind of flat right now. I can speak to it from a property manager perspective, which you could also take this perspective and apply it to your portfolio if you're self-managing or buying short-term rentals, is the 80-20 rule. So in the past year, we've offloaded a lot of properties that were taking up 80% of our time but bringing in 20% of our revenue. And I think investors can also take that same advice of really look at your portfolio or if you're looking to expand or what have you dive in, see which ones are actually performing, because short-term rentals are still a great active way to invest. It is not passive, but it is still a great way to get revenue out of your asset. But to be realistic, too, that not all short-term rentals are meant to be short-term rentals, and there can be some that perform way better than others, and to be honest with yourself about that. For those of us watching and listening right now who are considering either properties already in our portfolio, individual units or houses in our portfolio currently, or we are looking to buy for cash flow and we're considering buying a furnished rental, medium, short term, what have you. What do you think we should target in an acquisition? Another way to ask that question is what's really working right now? And what is it when you see a property that could be a furnished rental? What is it that excites you about those potential furnished rentals? I think we're really lucky in the metro markets. You guys are from Cincinnati. I'm Columbus. I love multiple exit strategies. I haven't gone into, well, that's not true. I used to manage in Hawking Hills and we're in contract in Hawking Hills properties right now. But the cool thing about metro properties is you've got short term and then you could diversify with medium term and then you could just go to long term if you want. Maybe it's in a good school district too and now it's a primary home. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's easy to sell. So having multiple exit strategies as an investor is something really cool that we can take advantage of in our metro market. So I would say for me, when I look at a property, whether I think this would do well as a furnished rental, like short-term or mid-term, a lot of what I look for is what I'm hearing guests are asking for or what they want. 
And I know that because they are asking either the same questions all the time or they're saying, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that. So it's specific characteristics that they're looking for. So when I think about acquiring my next property, then I would look for something like that because I feel there is demand for that. So it's not like there's no demand at all for short-term rentals because there is still. It's just very specific characteristics that they're looking for because guests are a lot pickier now. They have a lot of options. So when they want something, they want something. And a lot of our guests, I feel they are willing to pay for specific characteristics like a garage or something in a specific area. So that's how I look at what types of properties to buy. In terms of the numbers, it's hard for somebody who has never done short-term rentals to know how much is this property going to make. So that's where I would recommend talking to local property managers wherever you want to invest and get an idea from them, actual revenue numbers, what neighborhoods they would recommend because they've been in the area long enough. They know they have the experience. But I would say make sure your numbers are actually going to work in terms of giving yourself some buffer to not like my expenses are 3200 but I'm going to make 3500 of us. You need to have some buffer and numbers too. I have two questions here. One, when it comes to those things, you brought this up. You all three have experience with this though. Are there particular amenities that you see are in very high demand? You mentioned garages. When I say amenities, I'm speaking very broadly. Do you have to accept pets to get bookings? Are there particular things that people should be putting inside their short-term rentals, furnishings, things the kitchen needs? What are the particular things like that that you can just buy and put in a house that you know that every listing needs to have? But also, what are the less changeable things or more expensive to change like garages that you guys see in high demand? See what our secrets all of them. I want all your secrets. All the secrets, yes. secrets. Parking. Parking Absolutely. is that a makes huge sense. one, <laughs> especially if you're in a city area. Parking, location, making sure that our properties that are staged well perform well, staged and photographed well. So that's a huge thing. You want to make sure your photography is up to par. You want to make sure that the unit is staged well and that it does have all of the consumables down to the very smallest little thing. The potato masher. We'll get you, in my personal experience. You don't think you need a potato masher, and then you, it's Thanksgiving, and someone wants a potato masher. So, Did you bring one to them? I did. <laughs> I sure did. I couldn't let them not have the potatoes at Thanksgiving. The cool thing, too, is, is now there's so much data out there around amenities. So depending on your location and what kind of property you have, and by that I mean an amenity in a one-bed, one-bath, might bring a different percentage of revenue to a property that has four beds, two baths. And you can access data from AirDNA, Key Data, STR Insights, and they can tell you if you put a king bed in here instead of queen, you will make more revenue because that is in more demand. So you don't even have to guess anymore. This information's out there. But yes, metro market, parking, and not just any parking, but off streak or secured parking, pets will bring you a ton of money. Sorry to tell you, it just will. Even with labor costs of getting the property back to guest ready, it's 1,000% worth it. Hot tubs. You're dead in the water if you don't have a hot tub in Hocking Hills. You have to have it. And having it in the metro market, too. We had a property that had a hot tub, and 
guests loved it. But you do have to be careful because it has to work into your numbers too. We can't just add an indoor golf situation to a house and think it's going to drive in a bunch of revenue because it might not. We had a two-bedroom that had a pool table in one of the bedrooms, and a client of ours thought it was the best idea ever. <laughs> in an urban area to have a two-bedroom in one of the bedrooms had a pool table. That's not going to work. So I think it's very property specific as to the amenities. It depends on the size of the property. Would a pool table work in a six-bedroom home on Finley Market? Absolutely, it probably would. And that would draw all the bachelor and bachelorette parties. But in a two-bedroom on the West End, it's not going to work. So it's very property specific. It's specific to the size and the type of guests that you're trying to draw. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's- From what I've seen, it's dependent on the size of the property, the location, and I would say the location drives what kind of guests are coming in. So in some neighborhoods, there is very hard to find off-street parking. So if you do have off-street parking, you have a garage, that is what they're looking for. And some people are willing to pay more for that. And then some places don't require that. It's just kind of what makes your property different from the others in the area, too. In summary, it all depends on the property and the location. It's very specific, and it can change listing by listing, and I think that that's why it's so important. You have to look at those things if you want your listing to be successful, especially in the current world that we're living in. With the way that the short-term rental market is changing, if you want to come out on top, you have to invest the time and the mental energy and sometimes the money. And it's going to vary based off of the neighborhood. It's going to vary based off of the location. It's going to vary based on the type of guests that you want to draw. We offer specific packages for bachelorette parties that we can do. There's so many different niches and ways that you can look at it. I would get the advice from a professional if you can. (laughs) Well, I want to speak to that. It sounds like there is no silver bullet amenity except for the potato masher. (laughs) But um, when it comes to seeking professional advice, one of the things that we've seen across the furnished rental space in the last couple of years is the professionalization of the operation of short-term rentals. And one of the places that's coming from is that there are larger sources of capital, private equity firms, some hedge funds that are looking to get into this space that are treating short-term rentals as their own asset class. Kind of like a chicken and the egg, you have more professional operation coming in at the same time that you have more serious capital coming in that requires more professional operation. You also see that professional operators across the board are capable of garnering substantially greater revenue from practically identical properties in practically identical locations managed by quote-unquote mom and pops or individual operators who are not doing the research that you all are doing. I am one of those operators who got out at the beginning of 2021 because I realized that I wasn't going to play the game as well as you guys were, and I needed to focus on other pursuits where I could thrive in a way that you all are thriving in short-term rentals. Speaking generally about the professionalization of the operation of short-term rentals, what all have you all experienced in the last couple of years? I would say I've seen pre-COVID, there were a lot of what you're calling those venture-backed tech companies. I don't know if they call themselves tech companies or property companies. I don't really know what they're classified as, but they've got a ton of money from private equity firms or venture capital firms, and they're not making any money, but they have been just constantly growing super fast. And then when COVID happened, a lot of them just 
went away. Because I know in Cincinnati there were a few that came to Cincinnati right before COVID started. And I think their model is they're renting floors of apartments. I don't think they're condos, but they treat them more like a hotel in a way where it's just a multiple units on multiple floors. And then I've seen a lot of that die down here, but I have seen a lot more mom and pop person thinking I can manage this myself or I can manage it remotely. I've seen a lot more of that come in and less of the venture backed ones because I think they realize it's a lot more boots on ground focus than they expected probably or they weren't getting the money during the COVID. This is such a multifaceted question because there is a stat out there that short-term rental operators who are professional but smaller, more boutique, hold contracts for an average of 10 years, whereas the larger venture-backed companies have about a two- to three-year span with their owners. So I think, it, again, it goes back to you can be big, you can gobble up all the houses, you can have all this money and throw it into it, but at the end of the day, it is still a hospitality-backed business. So if you don't have that hospitality approach, it's going to be really hard for you to succeed. I've seen things where people are taking back their properties from property managers because it seemed like everyone was getting into the co-hosting game or the arbitrage game. Then they were representing owners and their operations are floundering. So they're not making their owners money because they grew way too fast. So the owners are taking their properties back. So it's a little bit of both. And then you have operators, you've really found your sweet spot and you love what you do and you're using the data mixed with hospitality and reinventing yourself. So if you're looking for professional property management, just because they're professional property managers, you still need to vet them and make sure that they consider themselves asset managers because these are your properties that are supposed to help you build wealth and cash flow. So your property manager should represent you in that way where they're your partner and they're knowledgeable and they're using data and software to help put your property in the most desirable position it could be in. Last question here to wrap this up before we do Q&A. You all being professional operators in more of that boutique space, give our listeners the most important piece of advice that you can about how they can operate their short-term rentals the way that you operate yours. And whoever goes first doesn't have to worry about someone else saying what they said. (laughs) Make every guest feel like your only guest. Tell us more about that. What does that mean? I think that a lot of this, too, ties into what the guests' expectations are. And this is the struggle, I think, too, with short-term rentals and all of the different platforms, Airbnb being the major one, is the expectations are not always clear and the guests either have too high of expectations or they don't have any. You don't know what exactly you're dealing with, but there is an expectation, I think, set for that personal interaction that you get from having a host. That was the way that Airbnb started. That's why even the CEO is like, oh, I'm going to be a host and host out my spare bedroom for free. And that's what it is. It's supposed to be this personal relationship of hospitality, of you hosting your personal home or your personal room. And guests want that one-on-one interaction. And they can tell when they're getting a boilerplate message. They can tell when they're talking to someone that's not familiar with the area. They're not stupid. And they're going to understand that that is what they're getting. And they don't feel like they're getting what their expectation was. And there's nothing worse than someone not having a met expectation in my opinion at least in the hospitality world so make every guest feel like your only guest go the extra mile even if it's something so simple and I've noticed that too and I have very strong feelings about this because my history is in hospitality but there's so many small little things that you can do to make them feel like they are your only guest when that message comes through in the initial booking hey I'm booking this for my birthday 
Just tell them happy birthday. That's the smallest little thing that you can do. You can even take it a step further and get a balloon. If you really want to go the extra mile, you can. And that's the beautiful thing about a short-term rental, too, is it can be as little or as much as you want it to be. And if you're good at what you do, then it can go above and beyond. And that's what I think is going to set your short-term rental apart is by pushing that with your guests. Preach. That was really good. And I'll piggyback off that, and then I'll give another tip because you all deserve that. One thing that we preach very much with our turnover team, our inspectors and our cleaners, is that when our guest walks in, the home has to feel like they're the first person to ever arrive at that home. They shouldn't feel like things have been used. Like that is the worst feeling, like someone just left and I'm like in there. You know what I mean? So soap bottles, full. That's very important to us and our brand. But another tip for you is to know your numbers. I can't tell you that enough, especially in 2023, for you to know what you're getting into. And there's so much data out there. Vacation rentals have been around forever, but I started doing Airbnb in 2012. So we have all that data to help you make informed decisions about what you're getting into. So just make sure you understand them. Yeah, I agree with everything they said. I think the one thing that I really built the business on is being able to consistently deliver five-star guest experiences. So what Danny is saying, but I think the key word is consistent because one guest for this one turnover, you do this great job, it's super clean and everything looks new and good. But the next one, there's hair on the bed or there's hair in the bathrooms. That is what really impacts you. So I would say having the systems from the beginning is really important. And it does not seem important to you when you just have one. Like when I started, I was like, <laughs> I did not think about that. But having the systems is really important. Thank you. That feels like a list of all the reasons I had to get out of short-term rentals. <laughs> all of the things that I did not thrive on. But thank you. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you want to do bigger and better commercial real estate deals? Take your real estate capital raising efforts to new heights with syndicationattorneys.com. With more than 20 years of real estate and investing experience, syndicationattorneys.com goes beyond just creating legal documents. They educate you on ethical and legal capital raising strategies. Plus, they offer a host of free resources, including their best-selling capital raising books, numerous articles, and their popular podcast, Raise Private Money Legally. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more, more deals, bigger deals, and better deals. So if you want attorneys with premier experience helping syndicators and fund managers raise capital, Go to syndicationattorneys.com today to schedule an appointment and unlock your maximum capital raising potential today at syndicationattorneys.com. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet for anyone to see? The answer is more than you think. Government records, social media posts, even your self-reported info, it's all being compiled by data brokers and sold to the highest bidders online. Anyone on the web can get your private details. This can lead to a higher risk of identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. I hate those spam calls. Well, I recently found a solution, and this is a new service called Delete Me. When I registered with Delete Me, they reviewed nearly 1,500 online listings and found more than 40 data brokers that had my personal info, my address, social security number, even info about my relatives. It's creepy stuff. Right at this moment, Delete Me is working to remove my information from those listings so I can take back control of my personal info and have a peace of mind I deserve and you deserve. Delete Me is on a mission to safeguard your privacy, and right now you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash Joe. 
Use promo code Joe. Only way to get your 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash Joe. Enter promo code Joe at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash Joe. Promo code Joe. Stay safe out there. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. We are going to jump into Q&A. Any questions from the audience? The question is, what percentage of our bookings are from Airbnb, VRBO, other platform channels? So I would say for us, in terms of volume, Airbnb is first. In terms of revenue, it's evenly split between, I would say Airbnb might be 50%, and then our direct is about 40%, and then Verbo is, I don't know if these numbers add up to <laughs> 10% and then we're also on Marriott which is very tiny but the direct is because a lot of these full-time on stays are more money so they always book direct but in terms of volume of bookings I would say Airbnb and VRBO are the top two platforms you should be on mostly Airbnb and then VRBO for this market here so the question is Is there a standardized underwriting amount that you should save or apply to your potential purchase when it comes to furnishing perspective? And then how much should you attribute to that every year after to keep your property up to snuff? To keep the property up to snuff, I would say put aside 10 to 15% a month for continued maintenance on the property. And that's pretty standard for long-term rentals too, honestly, especially if you're doing preventative maintenance on an ongoing basis and really getting in your property and keeping your eyes on it, you would need more than that. As far as furnishing goes, it really depends on your average daily rate. A one-bedroom, one-bath condo, you could probably do a really great job for 10 to 15K, depending on how you acquire your properties. But it's such a, that's, I mean, do you have a more standardized answer to that? I think it depends. Do you have an eye for design? Are you yeah, going to go through? Someone. Are you going to hire a company that's going to come in and do the staging for you? If you have that eye, then you can save yourself a good chunk of money, but... It's all dependent on, too, your ongoing amount is how well kept the property is, which is going to depend on the type of cleaner that you have. Are you going to personally be in the unit on a regular basis? Are you going to have regular inspections done? Or are you leaving that to your cleaner to tell you, which a lot of the times for what these cleaners are making, they're not going to tell you if there's a leak or if a chair is broken or a leg on the couch is about to buckle. That's what we've found. You have to really trust who is going to be in your units or you need to personally be in them and look at that from an ownership perspective. But that's hard to say. I would tell you this, invest in good furniture. 
You want to stage it well because it will make your listing stand out. And if there's anything that you can do additionally to make it stand out, we just rebranded one of our buildings. It's a motel style building. It has all these exterior entrances and we played into that. We got all these fun little neon signs and we really branded it to be that experience and we're seeing a lot of return from it. So I wouldn't say you would have put too much into it, but you have a property here in Cincinnati. I forget the name of it, but they're one bedroom, one bath condos and they're all designed after sitcoms. So the amount of money they put into replicating the Friends set or the Schitt's Creek set is probably a lot more than what I just said with the 10 to 15K, but they can command a higher average daily rate in their occupancy is going to be a different story too. So you just have to do that math and call around different designers and ask them. Designers can be anywhere from, I would say, 10 to 20% of a project. And they can also help you figure out those numbers as you're underwriting. I would just add on having a regular designer is kind of different than designing for a short-term rental too, because some things apply, some things don't apply. For example, for a short-term rental, you want to make sure things are sturdy, they're going to last, a bed is not going to break after a guest stays a couple days or something. But I would say not every amenity you think should go in there is a good return for what you're putting in. So just knowing what those amenities are, I would just honestly recommend having somebody who is local to the area who does it give you that estimate. But I would say don't go for the cheapest everything. <laughs> like that's the definitely don't. The question is, how do you handle if the AC goes out or something well, pops up? And that can make and break you, and that's what's hard with a short-term rental, too, is these platforms like Airbnb. If you can't do something for the guests, you're going to pay for it, and then you're going to end up probably paying to send them to a nicer hotel where there is air conditioning. So that's why we have professionalization. That's why you have management companies. That's why you have feet on the ground to be available. Like We have the scale to where we have the resources that if your AC goes out on the weekend, we've got the window units in stock that we're going to take them, and we're going to set them up for the guests to make sure that they have the comfort, but that's the hospitality portion of it. You can't treat these like it's a longer-term rental because that's when the guests are going to get upset. They don't want to be treated that way because they're paying a premium price through the one of these platforms for basically a hospitality business so you have to have a backup plan you got to have feet on the ground it's not a set and forget type of business anymore unfortunately so backups for your backups is our motto also preventative maintenance so being on top of making sure you're maintaining your ac units and your furnaces and being on top of it before there's an issue and obviously it doesn't prevent everything from happening but that's another good way to offset things just popping up over the weekend. Bill will pop up. <laughs> we have a pre-arrival inspection that we do on all of our units to try and combat that, which it was so crazy to me coming from hospitality world into the short-term rental game that that wasn't a standard thing. That is standard in the hotel industry that you're going to have a cleaner going into your room and cleaning your room. And then afterwards, you're going to have your housekeeping supervisor or your head of housekeeping going in and checking the room afterwards. So that's two sets of eyes. And it was wild to me coming into an industry that it was just, you're just trusting one person to go in and clean the unit. And then there's, of course, you're having all of these issues. Of course, I'm getting phone calls all weekend. We're not doing anything to get ahead of it. So getting ahead of it is exactly what you said. That's the key to delivering best experiences is getting ahead of the problems before they happen. You still won't get ahead of all of them because things happen. But as much as you can, it definitely will make your life easier. The question is, what is the average commission rate in Cincinnati specifically? I don't manage in Cincinnati, but I manage not far in Columbus, Ohio. And I will tell you from Columbus, Ohio to Hawking area, it's anywhere from 18 to 50%. Why the big gap? Because some management companies will give you everything for the commission. Your cleaning's included, your preventative maintenance included. 
the restocking of the consumables is included. Some other companies will do base commission and then have line items for all those. So it depends. You have to ask those questions, but I would say anywhere between 18 to 50%, depending. We have different tiers of management services that we offer, at least for us, and that's where the scale is. It can be less than that. It just depends on how much you want us to do for it. If you want communications only, you don't want to talk to a guest, but you're fine with handling the maintenance portion. You are okay with going to the unit. You don't want regular inspections done. You can do that yourself, but you don't want to have to talk to the guests. You don't want to have to answer the phone when they call. That's a level of service that we can provide without you paying a higher commission rate. Yeah, I would say for here the standard might be you can get 10% if you're going with Evolve or one of those national companies where all they do is handle the bookings for you and you do everything yourself. Or if you want to go with a boutique management company here, I would say it's probably 18 to 25%, something like that in Cincinnati. And it depends on their experience. Maybe they are new. They don't have much experience, so they're willing to take lower. And then as they're more experienced, they may increase their management costs. But I will tell you, they are making money somehow. So <laughs> they are not going to be like, oh, I'm charging you 10% as a short-term rental. The same 10% I would charge a long-term rental. They're going to make their money somehow. So I would ask them, what are other fees you're charging? Some of them charge monthly fees. Some of them are upcharging you on things like every time there's a service call or every time somebody goes to the property, there's different charges they may be adding on, but you want that 10%. So it's a balance. The question here is, for people who own a multi-unit property, duplex, threeplex, fourplex, larger, and they want to dip their toe into the water of short-term rentals with one of those units first, have you seen success with that? What are the results of something like that, taking one unit out of a few or several in a property to go with a furnished rental? They moved the entire building over to short-term rental. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. They started with one, and now we have six. (laughs) And just to be cognizant, we just heard a story of someone who has diversified their building. And actually, the short-term rentals are complaining about the long-term rental up top and their kids running around. So you really have to think about those dynamics of how people are going to move inside those units differently. Where short-term guests are, depending on where you're at, might be gone for the whole weekend. Just come back at night. And you have a family upstairs living their best lives. So just think about those different dynamics. But I recommend starting in that way so you can dip your toe in the water, diversify your building a little bit. It can be very successful. And it's a good way to see if it's the right move for you. You can kind of gauge how much work it's going to be. You can gauge the type of bookings you're going to get. I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, again, what she said, you have to be really careful about your long-term. We have a long-term renter in one of our units that the rest of the building is short-term, and she is not a happy camper. (laughs) But she'll see herself out. Is the question the best way to learn short-term rental operations and self-management? You could listen to my podcast. (laughs) I'm obsessed with operations, and I will help you every Tuesday and Thursday. But seriously, you can go to YouTube University. There are podcasts out there. There are great books out there. Read the book, Unreasonable Hospitality. I really do think you should go to hospitality first and then back yourself up in operations. I'm not just saying that to be all like woo-woo. I'm serious. Hospitality will drive you to have a successful, profitable business. Everything else you can learn from YouTube. So... Really learn from the hospitality greats, and they will help you create a great culture, even if you're a culture of one, because that culture is going to be reproduced into every single property that you invite a guest to, and that feeds the algorithm. So if they leave you five-star reviews glowing, the algorithm on all these platforms are going to keep serving up your property and just make more and more money. 
obviously, if you're doing it correctly, there's significantly greater revenue in furnished rentals, short-term rentals specifically. How does the expense ratio to your higher revenue compare with short-term rentals? And then as you scale into going from one to five to 10, 20, 30 units, what happens to the expense ratio by comparison to that revenue across the portfolio? Like with most businesses, 10Xing is easier than 2Xing. So you're going to struggle as you're just starting out. But as you grow your portfolio, the revenue from all those properties is really going to feed a stronger operational foundation. And that's when you really start reaping the benefits. This is a personal opinion, but I love short-term renting multifamily units. I love it. I can diversify it. It's easier for me to scale faster. And then I also manage for other people, which essentially just helps pay for the management of my own properties. And now I'm making money to do that. So I think that's what you're asking. And the more you grow, the more you stick it out, the more profitable you're going to become. The more you scale, the easier it's going to be. Yes. Yeah, I would. But I mean, the resources. In broad numbers here, generalizing with, let's say, one to five short-term rentals, how much of that revenue is eaten up as a percentage by all of your expenses? your operational expenses? And then does that percentage of operational expenses decrease as the portfolio multiplies? Are you asking for one property? Because when I think about for each owner, their properties, they are making a lot more than what they would make as a long-term rental. So what is paid out to them after any our management expenses, our restocking, all that stuff, what is paid out to them is more than what they're making long-term. And it's not just by like 100 or 200 bucks. It's a lot more than what they're making long-term. I would say maybe 2X. But out of that, I would say the wear and tear on the property is a lot less than what you would expect with the long-term rental. So if you take one property that is a long-term rental for three years versus a property that is well-maintained as a short-term rental for three years, you would be surprised at the less amount of work you have to do to it because they're not living in there all the time like a normal property. So I would say, yes, your expenses are going to be higher, but I think at the end of the day, if you take money to go back and fix some of this stuff because you're just doing it more constantly, I think you're still making a lot more money than if you have that. But if you're talking about scaling your portfolio and hiring your own staff to manage it, then it just comes down to the people costs. Are you guys aware of more traditional lenders who will lend on a property based on its short-term rental income figures as opposed to long-term rental. And what does that financing look like? It's a lot more than it was back in like 2016. What are you doing? Is this even legal? So yes, in my experience with my clients, it's a lot of those smaller banks that are actually more confident in using short-term rental revenue, especially if you're an experienced operator. All that can really play into it. So, yes. And DSCR, obviously, is probably the most popular options out there because I think that's also because short-term rental operators tend to be entrepreneurs as well. And so we don't have that same financial confidence that other buyers do. For example, I just got a a HELOC on a short-term rental from First Financial. Great terms. And that's using all of my short-term rental revenue. Yeah, I would say now the financing is a lot harder than 
before when the rates were lower, I remember hearing a lot more lenders advertising that they have a short-term rental loan where they take data from AirDNA or something, and they'll just make a loan on that. But now I think a lot of banks or lenders have pulled back on their financing products, and the rates are always a lot higher. But I don't see a lot of lenders saying, we will just loan you based on AirDNA projections anymore. It's a lot stricter. Follow-up to that question When you are looking at a HELOC from a local bank or a DSCR loan or looking for some sort of financing on the real estate that you're operating short-term rentals out of, now that they are much more focused on your own income and expenses, how long of a history of that income do you need to show? Is it a trailing three months? Is it 12 months? Is it more than 12 months? How many months of trailing financials would you recommend that a short-term rental operator have before they go try to get that financing? Maybe you, Sarah, because I haven't had a refinance or get financing from a property that was already running as a short-term rental. Mine have always been a purchase. I was going to say, I have so much history that I actually don't know the answer to that question. I would assume one or two years of strong historicals is going to be your best bet, but that is coming from just a really good guess. I'm not sure. Danny, Sarah, Iway, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review. Come check out our best ever Cincinnati real estate investor mastermind and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access. And you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.